0: Hello and welcome to another episode of doing things better and doing better things. Um, the podcast where I look at people and I talk to people who have, um, who have, who have done amazing stuff in their lives or changed, um, themselves or their business in some way. And t- today's conversation is oh, it's just lovely. And it, I can probably be accused of being a little self-indulgent because, uh, I interviewed Graham, I interviewed I had a conversation with Graham Rowntree. Um I did split into two parts because um I had to do something in in the middle. <coughs> and I grew up with Graham. Graham as I say in this was 2 years younger than me but always appeared to be in the same rugby team as me. Lived in the same village and um from you know being one of the one of the the people I played rugby with and was always around my house one of my brother's best mates. Um he went on to play rugby for Leicester Tigers, then England, then the Lions, then he coached um, Tigers or, or the Tigers youth team, then he coached England under two managers, then he coached Harlequins, now he's coach of um, Georgia, the country rather than the US state. and. Um, it was absolutely just joyous to sit down and, and have a conversation with him and to, to reminisce a little bit. I was good. I was never ever in his league. Um, and I really enjoyed today's conversation actually. Um, so apologies, it goes quite long, it's, I think it's over an hour um, or around an hour. Um, and it's quite self-indulgent in as much as we share a childhood. But there's also some really, really nice insights in there. So um, listen up. Let me know what you think. Thank you. Hi, um, I'm, sat in, um, I'm sat in my sitting room, actually, with an old school friend um, called Graham Roundtree. And Graham, although two years younger than me, was always in the same rugby team as me. He was always two years better than he should have been. And and he ended up being like twenty years better than he should have been. So Graham,
1: um tell me about yourself. Two years better than I should have been, then twenty years better than I should have been. No one's ever said that about me before. I'm not sure about that. Um tell me about myself.
0: What do you want to know? Anything. What about tell me tell me how you like to be known. Um Good Lord. Um
1: I am... I like I like a laugh. I like the crack, I like the banter part of how I work, I'm a rugby coach, as you know. I like banter with the lads. I like winding them up. I like them to walk into a meeting, a presentation, review, whatever it is, and a meet them and, and not know what I'm going to say, or indeed how I'm going to act. You've got to keep them thinking. You've got to keep them thinking. How do they respond to that? It depends. It depends on the context. So I, I love having banter with people. regard myself as honest uh, and good fun. So how do they react to that? If they come in on a Monday morning after a game and they've lost, they may be expecting a bollocking. I may not give them one. I may praise them for certain elements of the game. Or if they come in bouncing after a, a victory on a Saturday on a Monday morning, thinking everything's all right, I might want to bring them back down to work quickly. But I don't want them to work me out. Okay. Keep them thinking. As a player, that's how I remember feeling that as a player. You always want things to be changing. You want different sessions. You want a different environment. I used to hate meetings. I used to hate sitting in a meeting, being bollocked all the time, being told the same things. Yeah. So the flip side is I've become a coach. I just want them to keep thinking. And um,
0: that's really really fascinating because I remember, I mean, there's loads to talk about. I do want to talk about it how you started because you've got this really interesting bridge between amateur literature professional which I know is talked about a lot but I'm, I'm scary. Really, no, Interesting. you know it is interesting it is interesting because it was nearly it was not nearly me but I wanted it so badly but didn't get it but I remember watching um, oh fuck what's it called I remember watching the documentary that was released after the 2003 World Cup and I remember watching um, a coach that I have not that much respect for if I'm honest with you, I called Andy Robinson, run a meeting with the team and it was like watching a bad version of The Office with with him, with a pointer and a PowerPoint thing. And I was really shocked at the level of meeting kind of etiquette that was happening. Was that normal around then? Or did that come in around then? Or uh,
1: is that how rugby was ran? Um... I think that's how rugby is run. Um, sometimes it's just some coaches on some occasions, you've just got to get through things. You've got to get the point across. Mm. But it depends on your coaching style because guys take your information differently. If you keep hitting them with the same delivery, the same message, yeah. they just turn off. You can see them physically just switching off. So you've got to keep them thinking. Like intonation, I'm shouting at them. I suddenly call someone out. Yeah, I say, well, tell us a story. What? Tell me a story. What are you? What are the you doing? You got to keep them thinking. Um, what you're just describing there is a good guy, Andy Robinson. What's yeah. he done to upset you? Um, <laughs> I don't know.
0: This is a deep river. That's your uh, it's a deep river. A deep river. No one mentioned a deep river. It's my. It's my Andy Robinson. My cat hate right, which I'm not even going to get. I can't stand him. A horrific player, apart from his last two seasons where he was brilliant, um, a whole load of stuff around that, and Andy Robinson fell squarely in the middle of that, and I, and I actually thought he talked crap, listening to him at the time, because I got a bit of respect for Woodward, but less than I had, and I remember seeing Ant- Andy interview, and just I just thought, I don't know what he's talking about. From a management from a leadership point yeah. of view maybe from a rugby point of view he was like second yeah. to none I've no idea he must have been good mustn't he because hey,
1: they, they won the World Cup he was a good guy uh, very forthright. you yeah. know where you stood with him which again what you crave for as a player just want to know where standing. Do you stand that's interesting is that what you need as a, a, a in leadership yeah? yeah absolutely honestly you've got to be honest it's, it's the paramount quality that's it's interesting honestly transparency and honest players just want to be told what we're doing wrong What do I need to do better? Don't try and dress it up. Okay. And is there room in there, Graham, for challenge?
0: Is there room in there for debate?
1: Of course there is. And coaches want to be challenged.
0: That's really interesting as well. So, tell me, and I've asked you this question from another angle, but I'm going to ask it again. Who's the best, it's a different question, who's the best coach you've ever worked under? worked under or worked with? Well, I'm going to say, I'm going to say, as a player first. Oh,
1: well, I grew up in a very old school environment at Leicester, very brutal regime. You know, we, we were trained harder. We worked out that if we trained harder in the week and were more physical with each other in the week, then the weekend should be easy. (laughs) That was basically So you were like 90% match intensity in the week Yeah So I I would say the early noughties When we won back-to-back European Cups You know, our Wednesday morning training session Was infamous around the league So we would have first team versus second team Full on There'd be be a fight every week Really? Full intensity Back then The guys now in a squad Maybe upwards of 40 guys now In a, a, a premiership senior squad and they rotate the squad that much. The game is that attritional now. Yeah. Guys get lots of game time. Back then, we had a big squad, but pretty much the same team played all the time. So you had upwards of 20 guys in the second team. We were all youngsters straight out of the academy. Yeah. Guys that come in from other clubs, chomping at the bit. And Wednesday morning was their game of the week. So that's training session. It was pretty World War III. And the coaches loved it. The coaches back then would go into I mean this is how it was in the ranking you had a first team dressing room at the Tigers training round and a second team dressing room and they'd go into the second team dressing room and wind them up and they'd be saying, Have you heard what the first team players are saying about you? They don't respect you, they think you're soft. This is on a Wednesday morning. <laughs> and we go and train and we do full contact and it would be harder than again. Not for long be hard on the game that we'd have Thursday off Friday be a light session and Saturday we were ready for it we were battle hardened you know I remember we'd play seasons we played play the season I think we won the European Cup we lost away from home probably once Yeah. by a few points was to go on the road away from home and for every team it would be like their World Cup final so they'd be up for it I remember going out to the likes of Gloucester and the, the shed there you've heard of the, the, the Gloucester shed this yeah. the hatred coming out of that proper hatred God they'd be they'd be virtually over the stands before the game and would be out warming up you go and play a game down there they are ramped up for it amped up the players ready for it and the crowd are and you beat them there's no better feeling <sighs> now my career is uh, I look back on the best victories and I was very fortunate to in the great Leicester team and a great England team, a great England team as well. Don't get me wrong. I'm very fortunate to play with some great players. Uh, but the best memories for me will be winning away at Gloucester, winning away at Bath uh, by a few points. Yeah. And a few beers, well, having a lot of beers actually. Crazy bus journey home, and then you start again on Monday morning. That was, I mean, that 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 is in the amateur era and the pro era. They for me. Are the best memories. That's really interesting that is. It was an astonishing
0: Leicester team at that point. You are famously part one of the three in the ABC Club and the ABC Bar. It's a joy to go down there actually and see your pictures on the wall. Um, and I'll always remember Graham, I'll always remember training with you and and I was good, but you were clearly better and I always remember leaving the training pitch and getting, walking back to meet my mum for a lift back and turning back and seeing you still out there with uh, Dave Willits. You still training with Dave. And, um,
1: because I hadn't trained as well because I had to do extras. Is that what it was? <laughs> Probably, yeah. You say oh, I but was you, better. But oh, I wasn't better. But anyone. you put the time in, man. That's what I had what right. to, Mark. I, you, you played in a position that required a certain degree of natu- uh, natural... Flair. Yeah. I didn't have any skill. I tell you what I was though throughout my career. You give me a job, I'd do it. Yeah. Do the best I could do. But I was always fit. Mm-hmm. And I was always ready. I I use this expression a lot, so I like cycling. You're into cycling as well. You know, I was a domestique, for the, the race winner. Yeah. It, it, even at that age, I I very early worked out. I like training as a teenager, I'd do extra running. Uh, got into weight training very early uh, parents took me everywhere around the country fed me well they were really good your yeah, yeah. you know, I've got so much to be grateful for but I I took that into my amateur senior playing career so I played amateur for the Tigers then professional and I tell the lads that now it's a very simple game now rugby, there's there's a lot more things you've got to be good at than when we were playing yeah but if you fit If you're doing everything to the best you can there's so much advice eat this lift this do this and again that's all the lads have to do now yeah then it's up to you you choose your attitude get on with it but i i was fortunate to play with some great lads and i just had to do my job well be fit strong turn up i knew my job it was quite clear but it was easy back then compared to what a modern day prop has to do and that's all i did But yeah, I think you're overly
0: modest. I'm not, mate. Honestly, I know enough about rugby. Okay, (laughs) well, I'm not going to challenge. I'm not going to challenge you on that because, because I I just I remember watching in awe. I remember going to watch an England match. You may not remember this. You might remember this. Um, I can't remember who we were seeing. We were up in the on the end stand at Twickenham, and um, you were warming up running around the pitch with a couple of the lads. And then you, someone just, it was just me, my dad and my brother were just like, WIG! And it was one of your first games for England. So I don't think the nickname WIG was a big, the, 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 the um, supporters wouldn't have necessarily no, known it. Right. And you looked up like this, and I just remember, and, and it's not jealousy, it was envy. I remember thinking, fuck, I want that. <laughs> fuck, I want that. And I was just not gonna get it. And um, so I had this massive admiration for what you achieved. And I genuinely, I mean it when I say that I was amazed at the amount of hard work you put in. Like, everything was crafted. It was, have you ever read A Prayer for Owen Meany, a book by John Irving? No. It's a great book, really worth a read. Everything in the book lines up. Everything lines up for him to do one thing. He just does one thing. I'm not going to spoil it for you, just in case you read it. Um, and I remember, I remember talking to you when you were doing your A-levels, and you said, I'm only going to do two or three, I can't remember. You did one less than everybody else. And I said, what? why are you doing that then? And you went, well, because that's all I need to do to stay in sixth form. And that frees me up to do the rugby. But <laughs> I remember thinking, yeah, but you, you can't go to university. Because <laughs> my head was not on rugby. My head was on going to university and being pretentious. Your head was like, you were so driven, Graham. And it is hard work. And you were more talented than you think you were.
1: I, oh, I don't have to take issue with that. Um, <laughs> Too modest. Great. No, I go, because I know me. That was, that's a bit of a regret of mine, not going to university. Is it? Yeah. Just keep, you, you know, I say it to, I'm going to say it to my son now, he's, he's, he's in the Tigers Academy, yeah, he's in sixth form, keep your options open, you know, go to university, do your studies, because it keeps everything open for you. That's true. And if you're good enough, rugby will find you. Yeah. These days, there's scouts, academies, etc. everywhere looking at players. I look back on that time, the trouble was, I was in the Tigers, it wasn't an academy Now I was in the Tigers youth team. Yeah. Uh, As a 16, 17 year seventeen-year-old, and I, the game was amateur, and I just wanted to play rugby. I loved rugby. I had a very fortunate, tasted schoolboy in international rugby. So that yeah, you're right. Six foot. I can't believe I was that open about it. I just <laughs> want to play rugby. But 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 where, where, you were two years younger
0: than me, you one of my brother's best mates. But we were you were really open and really you were easy to like. You were easy to chat to. You were you were really approachable. You weren't like some of the other people in in that group who were a bit more. I'm going to use the word competitive. Mm-hmm. You could use the word sly, but yeah. they were a little bit like that. Yeah. You, you weren't like that. You were just like, okay, I'm going to come around with some weights and I'm going to chat to you about why I've only taken two A levels. And I <laughs> I just remember thinking, oh, fucking hell, why has he done that? And then slowly it dawned on me. It was utter determination to be the very best at the thing that you did. And, and I didn't appreciate how much and I really wanted it, but I didn't, did I? Because I didn't get it. No, but you, you did the right thing.
1: You went to university. Yeah, but I wanted to play rugby for England, Graham. <laughs> but at that time, you were keeping your options open. Um, I just loved rugby. Um, and I was blinked by the whole thing. And I went, I did A-levels. And I didn't really, I didn't really work that hard. I remember doing all the coursework for one subject, sociology I think it was, in one morning in the system. <laughs> No. <laughs> to give myself a chance. And I, I failed miserably. Did you? Yeah, yeah. General studies and sociology. But I'd already um I, I got a job to go into through the club. I remember. In insurance. I remember. A great you know, it's very fortunate. I've been so lucky with some of the support I've had throughout my career. P and G there's a guy called Les Cusworth. Yeah, my I don't know. Is, you used to play fly half. That's right. Yeah, bald as a coo- Yeah,
0: <laughs> but had an incredible sidestep. Yeah. and could kick off both feet in an era when that wasn't actually normal. He was my boss.
1: Was, was he? he? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so he 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 got me an interview at P and G. they supported the tides back then. One of their major sponsors. Eventually, we bought Peter Wheeler's smaller insurance brokerage, and Peter became MD. Ah, oh, right. so I you know. I thought it was the other way around. That's fascinating. Thank you. Well. They were so supportive, so yeah. I had this job to go into. I remember I'd been working there uh, 1989, it would have been July 1989. I'd been working there a few weeks, and I made a huge mistake. You live and learn. I remember telling all these staff I've been working with. I was in the motor brokerage department. Yeah. I basically wrote cover notes and made cups of tea, right? Yeah, it suited me fine because <laughs> it meant I could go and trains when right. I wanted to. I remember telling everyone, I'm going to get my A-level results. Why, why did I tell everyone? I was going to do that, I don't know, two years. <laughs> or was it one year in a day? And I came back, I was embarrassed. Yeah. And I was regretful. Why didn't I stick it? Why did I do better? It's interesting, Graham. I,
0: in an era now where exam results mean less and less, or more and more, depending on which side of the fence you sit. I, I don't want to take university people on. I don't, I don't want to take people on who've got that much debt. I don't. It's not that I wouldn't take them on. I'm not looking at university leavers anymore. I'm looking at A-level leavers, or I'm looking at people who have found an alternative way to succeed. When, it, when 60% of the population have a degree, it becomes less special, but it keeps your options open. And when I, it's, it's really interesting. Nicola, Nicola, my wife, never did a degree, and she bitterly regrets it for that very reason and she's been really good with the kids about gotta do it gotta keep your operas open but I'm much more laissez-faire having got one I'm like oh, do what you want to do mm. you don't want to go to uni don't go to uni do the thing you love find out what that is and, and, and maybe that's not as helpful as I thought it was actually maybe that could be quite derailing <laughs> surely not not for you Poss- possibly possibly <laughs> well, I always remember being derailing been. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll break in a second for me to just take this Cool. but um, I'll always remember a, you and Guy, my brother Guy, just putting the yards in round the pavements of Sankot, running in loops round the wreck down. I'm going to say part and drive. I've got no idea what the road was along the bottom, past Donkey Lane, back round to the church, and I just remember thinking, and I just remember thinking, "Fuck
1: me, I really wants it." he wasn't running it was Guy was running I was following behind trying to keep up we used to do a little circuit across the fields in Sharnford so out of your old house out round past the co down and you used to go past the primary school yeah up over the fields to Sharnford and back this little route and I'd be behind puffing because Guy he was a thoroughbred yeah very fast yeah we did athletics as well yeah very fast and I just just to try and keep mean he was being nice to me he used to slow down for me i couldn't keep up with him he was a thoroughbred i was a shy horse <laughs> big-eared dumbo edge you didn't have big ears i did like massive ears that's why they're all mangled now it's because they stick out too much trying to keep up with him he was this hybrid and i was this sorry this thoroughbred. I'm, would i be a hybrid no some kind of I don't know. working horse some kind of Game of Thrones character trying to keep up <laughs> the battle, battle Steve just all sweating ears I've
0: got a photograph from about that time me and Guy in Africa were really lucky enough to go to Kenya for our 21st but a year late for me and a year early for him and we were, we were, all, we were scuba diving off the coast of Tanzania these are words that are not easy for me to say and there's this great photo. I took a photo of, of him diving off the side of a boat. It's a fucking big drop. you know. I was a little bit scared, actually. I'm not great with heights. And he dives in, and then he takes one of me, right? One of us looks like a proper diver. The other one looks like a, a builder in free fall. i like another builder in free fall. You looked like you were falling. I, love, I'm a, I, I was the battle steed. Um, so we grew up in the same village, great. A little quarrying village in in Leicestershire um, and, and so we share the same cultural references normally I'd ask her what were the sights and the sounds what were the smells You're of your big you into smells, yeah I love it it's a time time machine mate a smell so I am going to ask you those questions but they're shared they're shared with me what 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 did you grow up what did you have because you had two older brothers see having older brothers is magic do you have an older sister as well no two older brothers is magic
1: because you get music early you get ahead of the curve oh getting on to music brilliant tell me what you're listening to I was to. wondering when that segue was coming in there you've got the segway See what, I did um, what was it like growing up with my brothers or in Sapka so I moved to Sapka in 79 or was it 80 from spent a year in Wales South Wales so my father was an engineer uh, worked for 3M yeah uh, did scotch tape some minerals, chemicals, moved from the northeast via via and slash Swansea yeah. for a year in 79 then moved to Sapkut in 80. Two older brothers, hit the 80s. You like the 80s music, don't you? Mate, it's the perfect decade for me. Oh, I agree. It starts with the end of
0: punk and it ends with the start of, well, the end of the Stone Roses. It doesn't get any better than that.
1: I remember my brothers coming back one night. They'd been to a concert in Coventry. Um... I see a band? I said, to see this new band? And they had a T-shirt on called U2. <laughs> so they got me into that Unforgettable fire brilliant album. Yeah. Uh, then uh, New Romance came in. Well, did you, did you, because I know one of your brothers was, uh, was into that comfortably. Steve. Maybe yes. Yeah. 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 Did you f- go that way as well? I liked, I still have an uh, eclectic taste in music. I like various tastes. The band, I love the way we're jumping around here, the band I've seen the most is The Beautiful South. Yeah. So I was in The House Mines. Yeah. listening so listened to Happy Hour yesterday on the radio. That's 1986. It feels like today. Doesn't it just? I've yeah. seen The Beautiful South mostly. But I loved all music. Um, I am not Big audio guy, dynamite Yeah. Kind of hinted at that scene then, did we? we? went to see them. Was the you come with us? I know. I, saw, I, I have seen, seen I think it was you your one for
0: I saw them up in Bradford, right. which we'll talk about about in a, in a minute. Mm-hmm. But what was it about Big Audio Dynamite that, that had a bit of Velcro for you? What, what was the
1: glue in them that you went, oh, I'm sticking to that? Quite simple. Anything with good bass or percussion. Yeah. Bassy, because, you know, I, I love rap music as well. No, I remember we would, late 80s, 88, Run DMC, Public Enemy, I get yeah. to that. Um, NWA. Brilliant. I remember let's started listening to them. that'd be a bit 1991, that album.
0: Um, first album was out in 89, with Ex- Express Yourself came out in 89. You're right. But I don't know, but it was in the end of 89, but the album, I don't
1: know when the album came out, you know, it might have been It might have been after that. One of them's got a dodgy title that we won't use on. We can't it use it, <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, I, I, I lean towards that kind of music. Yeah. I've seen Drake a couple of times. Um, I saw Jay-Z at the O2 four years ago. It was just unbelievable experience. Really? The sounds, the noise. Yeah, him coming on, on stage. Live music really gets me going. Yeah. Just the, the sensation. So, that, towards the end of the 80s, I was leaning towards rap music, but around the middle of the 80s, Big Audio Dynamo, big percussion, bassy, big noise. And so innovative. Like Mick jo- What
0: Mick Jones did there, is he took because the Clash were always a reggae yeah. band as much as a punk band, and he took the best of the Clash, and he added in what he was hearing in America, the Africa Bambata mm-hmm. and um, Sugar Hill Gang. He added yeah. in like that, and it was the first time I'd ever heard a film sample. Michael Caine. Yeah. It's the first time I'd ever heard a film sample in a record, and I remember thinking this is brilliant, anyone can do that. And that just, that's not meant to sound really bad, but this is gives us the power mm-hmm. of creativity. And that first album, e equals MC squared, that was the album, wasn't it, e equals MC squared? Yeah. That first album, and yeah. they're dressed brilliantly, they've yeah. all got their white lead lines yeah. on the yeah. front. And I, and I just remember thinking, fucking hell, this is brilliant, this is where we should be headed. Mm-hmm. And I thought that, because I was like, you know, at that point, skinny white indie boy loving Smiths and the the Stone Roses and yet at the same time I utterly loved rap music Mm. and um, it never it it wasn't attention it was just two things that I liked and Mm. one mate from one group didn't get my love of Mm. of the other
1: Mm. Public Enemy still listen to it now they're still touring aren't they I saw them they're nearly 60s yeah yeah, well yeah easy flavour yeah. flavour the dude with the clock rare he's, yeah, that's he's right, 60 yeah. years old still jumping
0: around so, so I said, I had the perfect midlife middle aged experience about a year and a half ago a really good friend of mine a guy called Tom o. Thompson, um, bought me tickets to see the Stone Roses at the Etihad someone had taught, taught Ian Brown to sing he can sing really well well no he can sing now and supporting them with a, I think it was the courtiers but I was late for that because of traffic um, and then it was Public Enemy so I sat and watched stood and watched Public Enemy and then the Stone Roses which were my two loves in 1989 and um, I remember just thinking there's going to be 60,000 people I remember many people were in there 40,000 people all of which will be really sore tomorrow because mm. their place was jumping mm. and Public Enemy were, were just brilliant I'd love to see them live. I think they're touring
1: this year as well. What are you listening to now? Oh, wow. I was just thinking, what would the playlist be? Because it's all Spotify now. You can get what you want in seconds. Yeah. So my playlist is very eclectic. There'd be some public enemy on there, NWA on there. Um, I tell you the band I listen to the most is uh, Radiohead. Yeah. Because I... I love the way they just keep changing, A bit like you too, changing, changing styles, changing music. And Tom York fascinates me because he's gone off on his own, so I've got his Tom York stuff. So his, I, I remember his, what's what was his side project band called? This one, like Atoms for Peace. That, that one, which brilliant. is called Flea Oh, from the Chili Peppers. Is
0: that you know, one? The um, crazy
1: bassist. He's in that band as well. that that's that's proper. I think you'd call it electronic music. So, I like a lot of that. I love Drake, uh, Kendrick Lamar. Yeah. And my kids are all into it now as well. Yeah. So, I've grown up, bad parenting this, in the car, they're listening to rap music, cursing, and they, yeah. they've got to love it. So, they've gone off and found music now. And I listen to their music, share it in playlist. But, you know, I love music. And I, I, I'm, I'm a big, at the moment,
0: I've got a playlist out about every six weeks I, I just do it for my own interest but I share it anyway i it's super eclectic there's a little bit of Northern Soul there's quite a lot of punk on there and then there's an awful lot of grime on there and grime is where my interest is it's really yeah. fascinating right now it's like the punk of today or the punk of the last five years frankly brilliant and I, and as soon as you're a music well frankly I, I can't it's the most important art form in my life I love pictures I love paintings and I love my bank Banksy and stuff, but music is like the most
1: important art form. I think I feel the same, but I never thought of it like that, the most important art form in my life. But If you I took, took all that away, you'd have to leave that. And the irony, of
0: course, is I can't sing and I can't play anything. It's me, me neither. It's bad, is it? Yeah. It's a bad DJ for a little bit.
1: And I'm terrible at remembering lyrics. Well, I'm trying to sing along to a song I'll get the words wrong and kids take the nick out of me. <laughs> I
0: was going to say to you, my kids just shout at me now, you're an idiot. It's not that dad, he never said that. I'll always remember um, Stone Rose's I Wanna Be Adored. Um, I couldn't afford to buy the record at the time, so I taped it off someone, so I didn't know what the lyrics were, and I thought it was I Wanna Be A Dog. I thought it was, <laughs> I thought it was some kind of homage to Iggy Pop and the Stooges, so I, I, for the first two or three weeks of having the album, I just sang it wrong. <laughs> but it didn't I matter. a bit of dog. It didn't, exactly,
1: it, out of tone. <laughs> Oh.
0: Have you heard his new album? No, it's really good. It's it's really lovely, and he's recorded it with. Um, he's got a couple of he's got a couple of kids who play music, and they've played. this is Ian Brown. Ian Brown, yeah, they've played. The whole album is his kids and him. It's beautiful, and there's an amazing video. I can't remember what the track's called. Um, Was
1: it him who sang Fear? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's lovely.
0: That is a tune and a half, but the um, let me just find out what that track is because it's called "From Chaos to Harmony." It's a brilliant track, and it's like an old school music video where nothing happens for a minute apart from a kid coming into a fairground and finding a machine that is Ian Brown's like head, um, and it's it's like a story. It's those old school music videos. It's it's absolutely brilliant, actually. Um, so. When you were getting ready for a match, right, oh, we'll talk about Georgia in a minute, when you were getting ready for a match, um, what did you listen to? What was your pump-up music?
1: Well, nowadays, the changing room is pumping with music. Every team's got a stereo system. Um, but you still have a lot of guys with their own little headphones on in their own little world. So a lot of players now have their own playlist. Yeah, They start listening to it at a certain time, pretty much. Very methodical about it. I played in an era where no music in the dressing room. You weren't even allowed to smile in the dressing room. Um, really? Yeah, well, very old school. Um, so we never had music, but towards the end of my career I started listening. A playlist would have a bit of Metallica on there. Oh, I love Metallica. It's a live album. Brilliant. In um, San Francisco. Bit of Radiohead, bit of Rondy MC. Um, you know, I, I was really lucky enough, I, I'm,
0: I'm um, part of a group of maybe three or four people that are, that, that um, support two friends in running the Do Lectures. Do Lectures is like TED, but based in Wales. David and Claire run it, and there's three or four of us that kind of just help compare and do stuff. And a few years ago, um, the unplugged talk, the one that isn't recorded, was Will Greenwood from Radiohead. And um, there's a Will Greenwood in Radiohead. Is it Will Greenwood? Greenwood. It is Greenwood, isn't it? Bass player, not Will Greenwood, the flabby centre. The flabby bass player, no, I not I actually really like, I actually really rated Will Greenwood. Let it's me just check. I got the, the name right. A great bloke. Greenwood. Um, it's a pair
1: of brothers in radio, isn't
0: it? Yeah, it's it's one of them. Yeah. Greenwood Radio. Maybe I got the name wrong, mate. I'll be honest because I um, uh Jonathan Richard Guy Greenwood, wasn't him? Johnny Greenwood. It was the other one. Tom York, Colin, Colin Greenwood, right. and he did a talk, um, about, it was essentially, about how the creative process, worked within Radiohead, now they're not my band, right? I, I really think they're amazing, but they're never on my top 10 bands, I listen to them, and I think, fucking hell, they're really good, but they're, they're not any, I much prefer Athens for Peace, they're not anywhere I gravitate to, for, for, for pleasure, but if it comes on, a bit like Muse, if it comes on the radio, I think, fucking hell they're good, mm. So, I, I, didn't, I didn't introduce them, I got Dave, they're his favourite band, who David runs a do lectures. Um, he introduced them. But, but Colin was um, talking through how, how he kind of created music, and the beauty of it was he couldn't stand still. As he was talking, he didn't have a guitar with him, he didn't have a bass with him, but he did. Mm-hmm. And he was, he was strumming and twanging, and it was really incredible to watch this passion. And, and to be that passionate about one thing I've not got that. You've got that. I've not got that. But he talked through how they recorded. It must be their last album, and it links us back to Public Enemy. So they all went away with samplers, Mm. and they just recorded stuff that they were listening to. And they all got together in someone's kitchen, and they they put the samplers on the table, and they all pressed play. And then they 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 stood around with their instruments, and they were just jamming with the sample. And recording it. And Colin played us what that sounded like. And it sounded like a cacophony. <laughs> and then it, they play, he played it halfway through refinement, like two weeks later. And you could pick out the track. Mm. And then they played the final track, which we, I can't remember which track it was. But watching, feeling, and, and seeing through his eyes that creative
1: process unfold was so interesting. They do... Um, they do videos of their albums or they, they've got to play it live in studios i'm not sure whether they were actually recording the albums then but you can see them what I like about them, they layer their music loads yeah. of sounds and then halfway through they'll be changing guitars and one of them jump onto a, a synthesizer and tommy Walker will jump onto a piano they've got two drummers going and just their music is layered yeah and, but to be able to watch them doing that it's
0: awesome. almost like classical music like when I, I i that's how it feels to yeah. me i as I say, I absolutely love them, but they're never on my playlist. I don't know why that is. I maybe need to spend a bit more time. I bumped into him once at Old Street, Tom York, and he was, um... He was, like, the most focused I've ever seen him. I can him imagine ever. him being intense. Yeah. It, 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 it actually felt like anger looking yeah. into his eyes. It probably wasn't. He was just getting to where he was getting to. Mm-hmm. Um, amazing band. Truly amazing band. Um, So tell me, so right now, you... Because you were, you, were, you were like... You were the coach that kept coaching, so you you got into England setup. I were, I were. You're not you finished yet. Well, I've got a question about that. And I don't know whether to do it on the, on the audio or not, but we'll maybe come on to it in a minute. Ooh. You were with um, you you were you, you obviously went through with, with John with Johnny. Mm-hmm. You were his forwards coach, mm-hmm. and when Lancaster came, you were his mm-hmm. forwards coach, mm-hmm. and then there was a big a big change. And I always
1: felt you should have stayed, frankly. That made the change, but I'm we biased. all got sucked at that. <laughs> exactly. A big change. Exactly oh, what I, you just said. <laughs> I'm afraid there's going to be a big change in our lives. So, how did that feel, Graham? How did that feel? Oh, thank you for bringing that up. Oh, I finished playing in 07. did a year at Leicester as a player coach, um, looked after the second team and the academy, assisted Richard Cockrell, then joined the RFU. And had eight great years there. Great years as an academy coach. Uh, Brian Ashton, Martin Johnson, working with my old mate was brilliant. Twenty eleven World Cup came and went, disappointing World Cup. Uh, John and went moved aside, left. wasn't for him. Just didn't need the pressure. Was let down badly by uh, a lot of people. Let's not get into that. Yeah. I stayed passionate about my coaching, stayed. Stuart came on board, gave him the head coach role after an interim period. Andy Farrell came and joined us, who's a great man. Just Isn't a great, warm human being. Isn't he? It comes across through the TV like that. But tough as T. He's captain of Wigan in Great Britain at 18. Yeah. You know, he's, he did everything you remember. Someone asked him once, where were you when he found out you are going to be a dad for the first time? And he said, job for class. <laughs> Is that the truth? Yes. I think it was geography or chemistry. No, he doesn't look like a chemist. It'd be geography. Um, he, he had Owen. Young. Uh, Did he? I but he's a, a proper alpha male. Born leader. Inspire. great talker, but warm to drink yeah. with him. Warm with the lights. So I got to work with him and Stuart. With a disappointing World Cup in 2015, to say the least. Stuart went. Eddie came in. He moved us aside because he wanted his own people yeah. no problem life goes on it was a tough time
0: no I, I can imagine it but it looked like you took it well actually and um and now you i've got a question about the future mm. but that's going to depend on what gatlin does
1: i think Gatlin does <laughs> Does it <laughs> All right. do you reckon he'll go to england um i would not rule it out because he's a great man and a great coach i wouldn't rule
0: it out I, so i think he will go mm. and i know who he really rates as his forwards coach
1: You. Ah, come on. I I don't know about that. Do you reckon you'll get another bite? How? I don't know. You can't say never to anything in my work. Um, It depends. It depends on who else is available. Some great coaches out there. Yeah, there are. There's always a lot of coaches out of work. I know that from my own experience. Yeah. Um, So what's Georgia like? Brilliant. So, like, 2015, we all got sacked. I fell into a job at Parlour Queens very quickly, did two years at Queens, which I loved. Yeah, great team. Trying to, but the commute was an issue. We had a disappointing season last year, which resulted in the boss going. And I just caught time on it. I had a year to go on a contract. I thought, I need to do something else. Yeah. So got out of that and fell into a, a job with Georgia. Uh, I'm contracted with them to the end of the workup and I love it. So I'm in Tbilisi when they're in competition period we just won the tier two six nations where you travel around Europe not five star You <laughs> even hostels again I like the five do star you remember hotel. that hostel we shared in was it Romania or was it Holland oh, oh, I didn't do Holland uh, Romania it was Holland it was Holland yeah, was Holland. Was Holland, yeah. Was... well we went to Cluj Romania yeah um, yeah <laughs> uh, Krasnodar would beat Russia there great experiences but they get all the stuff you know in modern rugby now Every team has a kit kit man and a kit van. Yeah. And the kit van goes ahead to the venue, and the, the kit man will put up the shirts, layer everything nice and the guys uh, on the bench for the guys. Everything's there. Georgia, we don't have a kit van or a kit man. We all carry an extra bag, so we'll we'll leave, we'll leave our, our train facility, and I'll carry a bag which will, which will have all the shorts on. The head coach will carry a bag with his shirts on, but the whole squad. Divvy up all the extra kit between us, and we we'll take it with us. Do, do you, did you, this is ridiculous. Is there something
0: reassuring and pure about that? Is there something about that that makes you smile, or do you see it as uh, you, you wish there was a kit balance? No,
1: absolutely ban? not. I, I, no, they have to continue being as organic as they are. Grounded. Grounded. They, there's no sense of entitlement. With these Georgia lads. That's brilliant. You know, they get on with things. I mean, don't get me wrong, the forwards all play in France. Yeah. with top French clubs. When I mean, I'm not with Georgia in competition time, I'm in France. I was in Brieve and Aurillac last week going around seeing our guys who play in France, talking to the coaches, doing a bit of coaching. You know, some of them are on eye watering money for top 14 clubs. That's the forwards. The backs play in Georgia in a pro league. Wow. Why have you split? How, how, how can the backs haven't made simple, it into the big right? money? It's simple. Um, they're big men. The so Georgians are into wrestling or rugby. Right. So, the better Georgia rugby players historically have been the forwards because they're bigger. And yeah. the French clubs quite near to basically. Yeah. And they just go and tap them up as a young age, bring them over, to play in France. It's been going on for years. That's really interesting. But as a collective, great men, humble, don't smile enough. The very humble culture, you can't swear at them. Because in their culture, that's really bad. Really? Yes. God, I'd be <laughs> fucked.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I would, I'm <laughs> such a swearer.
1: Well, I, I was warned about that very early in my uh, tenure there. And I like to walk before I run, getting to know them. You know, like in a team meeting, you can't show a video having a go at a guy in front of the rest of them, you don't do that. You do that one-on-one. On one. Right. It's kind of how I operate anyway. But you can't swear at them unless you bloody mean it. Um, but they're they're great men, humble. I, I spend a lot of time just trying to get their energy up because they're very dour as a, as a race. Never smile, Interesting. Yeah, but they're great to work with. So they're, they're like the Six Nations of Division 2.
0: Is there an argument well, this is all in. So this is all up for debate right now, isn't it? Within 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 international rugby, that they should have re- seriously replace Italy in the Six
1: Nations. Whether it's viable, I, I don't know. Um, it's wrong that Italy every year should get a free a free pass yeah. playing the Six Nations without ever winning. You yeah. know, and the money they get from it as a country, it's like, huge as a sport. You know, the grassroots in Italy, the money that's pumped into it from the TV money is incredible. So they should be better value than they are. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Are we good enough to make that jump yet? I'm not so sure. Should we deserve the chance with a promotion and relegation system in and out of the Six Nations? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe, but I would hate to be the team going to Twickenham, or going to the uh, Principality or going to the Stade of France and getting battered by 40, 50 points. That's not good for the development of Georgian rugby. No, it isn't. I agree with you entirely. Which was your
0: favourite player? Which opposition were you playing? Who did you really look forward to playing against?
1: Which, which country? I have a bit of a uh, relationship with France. and I love France. Um, from an early age, I used to play against them. schoolboy, age-grade rugby, uh, club rugby. You'd be in France, getting your head thumped, and your eyes gouged. And testicles twisted but yeah. it was lovely <laughs> i was going to say <laughs> it looks like you miss it then afterwards you'd have a beer with them and everyone loved each other but no the tough it's a tough tough mentality in france i like their attitude um so I, I, it's one of the teams i've always played a lot against yeah really respect them. it's always a tough game
0: but so, there aren't any easy games well apart from italy there aren't any easy games are there anymore in the uh, in the six nations no Scotland, Scotland were lucky this year
1: well look at that game that second half against England incredible What a weird game that was because people talk about England switching off or poor leadership in the, the second half of that game but there's not enough spoken about how good England were in the first half
0: yeah they were brilliant yeah no I agree it was a nearly perfect performance in the first half mm. and there's not enough to talk about how good Scotland were in the second half they were mm. immense it's a weird
1: Six, uh, six Nations because England at times I thought were brilliant yeah you know they're obviously trying out a few different things with the World Cup coming up but I thought they were, they'd be disappointed with the Six Nations particularly the Welsh game but I thought there's real signs of development and a lot to be confident about going to the World Cup do you know what I, I, I'm, I'm cool I mean I, I love I love the England Wales game I love it it's not easy to
0: watch ever it must be really hard to play in but um, I'm, I'm okay with us losing I'm okay with us going into the World Cup yeah. below them
1: I think that's where we play our best rugby when no one's expecting well that's what I'm looking forward to this World Cup is being the underdog yeah. so ironically the pool that we're in Georgia we're in with Wales, Australia Uruguay, Fiji I was in the same pool last time, but I was England. That's a tough pool. It is a tough pool, but the pressure's all on them. Yeah, that's very true. I think we can scare somebody. Tell me about Georgian wine. Oh, dear. Well, Mark, I can assure you one thing. I'm working my way through it, it all. <laughs> in my time, now. So they, they make their wine in their quivery clay bowls buried in the ground opposed to barrels, so the taste is just sensational. That's interesting. Very organic, low sulfates, very pure. Saperavi is their local grape, the Georgian grape. Sounds like a biodynamic wine. That's how I would describe it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and because of that, sorry, because of that process, their white wine comes out looking like a Belgian beer. It's like a blonde beer. Ah, oh, amber. Amber, it's an amber wine. Oh, that's interesting. it is divine. The taste, a different taste. And where can I get that from here? I've a clue. Um, I don't know. I'll s- find it somewhere. There are dealers in London in particular. There's bound to be somewhere in Soho that sells it. So I tend to bring it home with me. It cost me a fortune. But um, no, a good culture. Love their wine. And T- Tbilisi itself, very contemporary now. Lots of nightclubs, new hotels. Restaurants going on there. There's a real contemporary scene. A lot of young energy in, in the city now. Do you own a place over there? Do I? I live. I live in the train facility, uh, the Shevardeni. It's uh, the national rugby train facility, which is impressive. Yeah. Three pitches, a three G pitch, and a hotel complex. Um, it's not five star by any means, but it's clean and the food's good. That's what you want, isn't it? Cause you're in and out. I mean, they've a, a very good taxi system. Which probably better than our Uber system. So you get everywhere very cheaply. Get to the in 15 minutes, I so get into town in five minutes. It's easy. That's amazing. I love it. And um, I
0: remember reading, Graham, um I can't remember where I read it now. It was actually about Harry Ellis, who I, I thought was one of the best scrum master lesser of turners and lucky to do his knee like he did. Yeah, exceptionally lucky. Yeah, I and I, one of the best for England. I mean, we've got a great scrum house there, to be fair. But I remember reading this article about it when he first started, and you, So you would have been a senior at the at, at the club, like a, a grizzly old bear in the corner. And um, and and I remember him saying, he called you, did he call you Mister Roundtree? Literally, the entire first two or three matches he played
1: he was like massively <laughs> deferential. He, he was, but he didn't literally call me that. But that's the, the humility of the kid. He's a tough player. Yeah. I used to like playing with that realist. So he picked me up, and put me back, and batted me in a tackle, sat me down. Did he? A spear tackled me. It was legal back then. One of his first training sessions, he was 18. Yeah, I picked the ball up around the side of a rock and he was defending one of those sessions I was telling you, Yeah. He dumped me in my arms. Who were you? He kind of looked apologetically. <laughs> Sorry it's, around to it's all right we've got a tackle kit ah great the club was built on
0: homegrown characters like that and that's where I wanted to finish off really because I I remember in those days of you know all everyone in my county team all they ever wanted to do was to go, and go into, into the Tigers youth team mm-hmm. and I remember training on Nelson Mandela Park and having to Put the post up, pick up
1: the dog shit before we've trained and Do you know what? I'm sorry to interrupt Can you. No, please. We used to go out, put the post up, come back to Wilford Road, over the road, to the stadium, then go back out for the game. We were playing against Moseley. At what year would it be? 1987. Unless the city were playing Millwall. Bloody hell. And used to park all the away supporters coaches for the, the football team. Gramby Halls. Up by, on that big loop yeah. round by Mandela Park pitch got invaded by a load of Millwall fans we played playing Moseley the game got abandoned really? and we're squaring up to all these, mo- uh, these uh, Millwall fans <laughs> these all these 17 year olds come up with squaring up I've never seen anything like it yes I have Mandela Park in the summer they used to put the circus on there yeah playing touch rugby pre-season and two camels joined in Two key, and two capitals. No one could catch them. That's brilliant.
0: I, I, what I love about Leicester, as a city, but also as a rugby club, is that it is incredibly modest, mm-hmm. and it makes it all the more exceptional that the Manchester United of rugby was the last. I mean, not this season. we been absolutely dreadful. Were were the Leicester Tigers. Did you number one? Did you ever feel the weight of that when you were playing that that hate that you experienced at Gloucester? And the, number two, you never played anywhere else. Well, apart from the as you were growing up, but you never. No one ever came and there's no transfer in, in rugby like there is in football. No, not yet. Why is that? I don't know. No. It's just the clock. Good. Every, every middle class
1: fan has got that clock. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I, I couldn't imagine myself playing at another club. You know, I used yeah. to watch Tigers as a kid, and uh, I was playing for them in Eton. I got head, head by them, scouted by them as a 16-year-old, and love the place. I couldn't picture myself playing anywhere else. Because oh, okay. I played with great players. We won stuff, Mark. Yeah, you did. You know, and you, know, you get pulled along by these great players. Uh, it's very fortunate. You're on, you go on about smells it's a great time machine what was it where, where you. yeah it's a time machine yeah. time tunnel takes you straight there it's, it's interesting you were talking about that I was listening to your podcast last last week with Rob yeah and you were on about your smells of Coventry was it apart from the smells of piss and <laughs> <laughs> but you are on about your twice baked Italian bread and the, the, the coffee it's interesting I look, think of Leicester and I've been back there twice now as a visiting coach with Harlequins which yeah. is it was a challenge. That must have been intense, yeah. Yeah, you, you've got enough to worry about just doing your job, coaching your visiting, coaching your team. But what struck me, what struck me was going back in, just past the ABC bar, Yeah. opening the green doors into the changing room complex. I was hit by the smell of the place. It hasn't changed. Hasn't it? Yeah, and it a bit spooky.
0: Really? Yeah. Did it make you sad or did it make you
1: happy? Well, did they make you it make It may be happy nervous. I was nervous anyway. Christ, you're a visiting ten to Welford Road. You're not going to have it easy, um, historically. So happy nervous. But I, it, it struck me, just listening back to some of your podcasts, you've ref, referenced it a few times about yeah. taste and smell. I remember walking into that changing room complex at Welford Road. Oh. <laughs> That's really interesting. I I remember really, there's a number of
0: smells that I remember from my... Um, I'm not even going to call it a career because it didn't go anywhere, but my time playing rugby, one was um, horse liniment, Mm -hmm. the smell of something slightly warming on your muscles. And the other was the, um, obviously when I started drinking on a Friday night and having to play there on a Saturday morning, vomit. (laughs) A little bit of vomit, but when we played anywhere near the Everards Brewery, the smell of hops and brewing and... And if we played the other side of Leicester, and we were near Walker's Crisps. The smell of salt and vinegar, and a, it, it's a re, it's a really smelly city. <laughs> and, and I don't mean that in a bad way, yeah. but it's got its manufacturing is yeah. smelly, and it used to be worse when it did leather, and you'd have chromium and tannin and all that sort of, all that sort of stuff. But if, if I smell, it's not so much Vicks, but if yeah. I smell ho, what I call horse liniment, I don't know White, what exactly it means. I'm, I'm back in the changing rooms, the noise, the clatter of studs, the, the, the tightness of my laces that are too tight, the slightly dampness of my leather boots, the flick of a wet towel afterwards when you were trying to run the gauntlet of getting into the shower without being, frankly, bullied. And, um, they're the really emotional times. I, I look back on my time playing rugby with such warmth and fear. And they are the best days of my life. I utterly, utterly loved it. Mm. We were good. You were better.
1: Oh, you were brilliant. We were good. You were better like that. Um, yeah. We did. We did the county cup. Did you ever have smelling salts? Yeah. I still now am a toke on that. Do you? <laughs> but the lads have it a lot. Smoking salt. Good. That shocks you. Yeah, yeah. Quicker. It's a physical shock. You know you do not. I still now really, when I'm in the dressing room just before the lights go, I do a little like, oh, toe on that, yeah, just to give you a bang. Yeah, just, yeah, it's just, just part of the, part of the experiences. Um, I won't miss. I mean, my ears. God, I get this trouble out with my ears. I won't miss waking up on a Sunday morning with my ears stuck to the pillowcase. Cause oh man. I'm in mean, the end of my career. The last few years, my ears cauliflowered, and it's just falling off. I've had about a hundred stitches. At various times every week you just come off the top not literally no this this skin here became paper thin and this is solid it's cartilage now yeah and it just come off stitch up come off stitch up put tape on I put a head guard on it, it would still open up so from september to flipping may there'd be blood on my pillow i'd be stuck to a pillow on a sunday morning i wouldn't miss that you you must i mean i know how much you love your game
0: you must have really loved your game. To, to put it with that every week, every night, every morning. I remember you telling me about your dad using a syringe to take out the orangey, pinky fluid every
1: single match. You know. not, yeah. Over the toilet, in the bathroom at home. You must love what you do. I mean,
0: honestly, I, but to find some what I love about this series of podcasts, they I mean, it never meant to be like this, it meant to be about people who do things better. What, 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 it, what it's turned into, and I should change his name, is it's turned into, into finding people's, describing people's passion and putting it into words uh, because watching a player at the top of his or her game and just a quick word for women's rugby, fucking hell, that is amazing. Mm-hmm. How exciting is that? It is. It's incredible. It Watching a player at the top of his or her game, it's beautiful. You, they don't even have to think. And, I, and I, I, I've only had it once or twice. I remember playing for Hinkley once and just having one of those games, no matter where the ball was, what I did, it just, everything flowed. Mm. And to be in that in that zone is amazing. And to watch you do that against South Africa famously said I came back after playing rugby league for Yorkshire water or Yorkshire electricity and getting a proper marmalise in and a punch to the face 50 tackles in a game I'm fucking hurting and I walked through the door Daisy or Max had just been born I think it might have been Max actually so probably was 96 I thought it was 94 probably was 96 and I came back and sat down thinking I was really chuffed with myself got myself a beer turned the telly on you're shaking hands with Nelson Mandela. And I just went, fucking hell, we used to be the saints. <laughs> <laughs> I had nothing for, but, but utter respect for how far you went, how far you, how high you flew, and how well you did it. And you're modest, but the rest of us sat there in utter awe and watched you achieve things that we all could <laughs>
1: only dream of. I'm not modest, I'm a, I'm a realist. I have- seen greatness i've played with johnny wilkinson i've played against joe Owen. i've played with martin johnson playing great players they're great players i've played against johnson actually bizarrely he's
0: amazing I was, of course yeah similar, similar age. age similar
1: age so, so, so he's a year in between us yeah um and you get pulled along but i was i keep saying i knew what it was and i don't know enough about rugby to look back at my career look what i could have done better but i knew what it was uh, I played with some truly great players. I experienced some great things. Met Nelson Mandela. Um, you know, I played spanned amateur era and the pro era. I've wrestled naked in the Ivory Coast. <laughs> I've been held up at gunpoint twice in my career in South Africa. <laughs> Highs and lows throughout. I would have been doing that if I wasn't a, a rugby player. You know, I I look back and what I, I coach people now, teach people now, don't have any regrets. Right, you gotta live in the now, but you gotta be as good as you can be. Yeah. Strive to be that. You know that, look how successful you are. Um, Be as good as you, because I have regrets as a player, and and, um, I don't want now to have any regrets when I finish what I'm doing now. So you have gotta keep striving, don't you? Yeah. Where are you gonna go next, Greg? What are you going to do next. I don't know, so I can't tell you what I'm going to do for October. I've got a couple of possibilities, which is slightly unnerving but quite exciting. I,
0: I I've I've put I've put my cards on the table. I <laughs> don't think your England coaching career is over yet. But having seen you speak, having seen you at that event we both spoke at, and having watched your style, which is. I'm not going to call it president. I asked you once who the most respected leader you've worked with was, and you said Gatlin. Yeah. And you and I said why, and you said because he's never. I've never heard him raise his voice.
1: Um, yeah, no, that's not the only reason. Um, he he understands people. He is a people's person. Not all high-profile, successful rugby coaches. I like that. Are people, people, but you had that. So, when
0: I saw you do this mm-hmm. talk, that talk, you know, we, I, I come on all music and flashbang and stupid trousers. And then we had the traditional business consultant who was interesting, yet strangely not. And then and then we had Rachel who talked about um, the more kind of softer side of, of personal development, which I really liked. But it's not for everyone, I, I completely get that. And you just sat there and you turned your chair around and, and, and you huddled, a scrum appeared around you, no matter. What, you just came you bought the roof lower and everyone moved in and you ran it in a really nice way and I see there's a really big opportunity for you in, in leadership and business and there's an antidote to all the shit that's spoken all that lingo bingo all of that utter bollocks that comes out of, of leadership mouths and I think there's something there for you um, uh, and, I, and, I, and I think that your level of modesty will serve you really well in that world Okay. We can talk. We can talk about that mm-hmm. another time. But you know, Graham, we we have done on this, and I've got two claims to fame. One was a new Blur before they were famous, and the other one was a new Graham Rountree. Oh, well, there is a Dave Rountree in Blur, isn't there? There is not it theres Yeah, yeah. He plays drums, and he's the most. So modest. how did you know them? I was really lucky. I I I had this. In fact, I was looking lots of ways. This is a really beautiful story, and I forget. I forget how beautiful it is. So at university, I, did, I opted for the placement year because I wanted to go and work. And I applied for all these great placements. I applied for one in Brighton. I applied for one in the Peak District. I applied for one in Camden. And I didn't get an, an interview. And, and it's interesting, actually. The reason I didn't get an interview was because I put down that I used to play rugby. And they, they were like, they were really politically correct. And they were like, what, you more raucous? Yeah, they thought I was a twat. Not realising, not realising, not realizing, frankly, that in Leicestershire, we oh, played... wrong they were. But, exactly. <laughs> but, but it was a working class sport when we, when, when we grew up. And it wasn't in the south of the country. It's a, it's a public school. It's a private school sport. I get that. And they thought I was a private school boy kind of thing, right? So I didn't get it. But my... Um, I didn't get the interview. But my... Um, the school secretary knew who was being interviewed and knew they weren't right for the job. So she rang the company and she, and they, and she said, you've made a mistake. You need to interview this boy. I was a boy at the time. You need to interview this boy. And so I got I got an interview, got a late call up. So I went down to this place in Camden and um, and got a job and loved it. And it was the best thing I ever did. And me and Nick got together when I was working in London, even though we went to school together, yeah. we didn't know each other particularly well at school. Um, And my first day in my new house, I'm chatting to um, a woman called Cara Norman, who I'm going to do a podcast with, actually, and she's an amazing illustrator, has done, um, what are those, Charlie and Lola, she's done all of that, and I can't remember, some others. And um, she said, oh, you need to meet my mate Jess. So I said, yeah, I'd love to meet Jess. Jess, a woman called Jess Orban walked in, and Jess is beautiful, uh, inside and out, and I really liked her, and she just was really kind, and she went... My brother's just um, is in a band and they've just changed their name from Seymour to Blur. They're playing tonight in Tufnel Park. Do you want to come? And I was like, yeah, I really like you. A boyfriend was a really nice chap as well. And I kind of just fell into this, this group of kids. And we saw Blur every week for six months mm-hmm. until There's No Other Way came out. We, and you just, at that point, you knew they were going to be huge. You didn't know they were going to fall and then rise again, but you knew they were going to be huge. And I remember talking to Damon upstairs at the Brixton Academy. They were supporting the Soup Dragons. It would have been about February 1990. And um, and he said to me, he said, I think there might be more people here for us than the Soup Dragons. And I said, I, th- I think you're right. I think this is it. And I never saw him again on a one-to-one. I've seen him play. Um, so I was just really lucky. Jess O'Barn was really kind and... Um, and I was in the right place, exactly the right time. So they're my two claims to fame. I knew Blur when they weren't big, and I knew, I knew Graham Ranshee when he was, was at school. Was it's flattered. true, it's true. Flattered. Mate, it's an absolute joy to see you, an absolutely, really self-indulgent conversation. I've loved every single moment of it. Um, you're going to do amazing things, whether you stay in rugby or whether you don't thank Promise. you <laughs> there you are it's a pleasure thank, thank you me. man really i really appreciate that that was really beautiful it was and actually it's good one. it was really good for me to go back because those those rugby dreams for me they, they were really hard to let go of it hurt because i got shit towards the end of my time at, at school I'd, I'd lost my confidence playing for county Actually destroyed yeah, my confidence. Yeah, it utterly destroyed my confidence. I got re- they gave me a really hard time. All the other players. It was a horrible, horrible environment to be. No, it's fine because I wasn't very good at that point. And 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 then when you're not very, when you begin to lose a bit of performance, and then they criticise for it. Guess what? It all falls, tumbles down. And um, and it and you know I I genuinely mean it. Turning the telly on that day, I remember, a little tiny little eleven inch telly in a cupboard, and I remember just had Max on my lap and I turn the telly on and I was like. Fucking hell, Graham's shaking hands with my hero, and um, that—that's oh, a joy. You, man. Amazing man,
1: though. Really? Well, yeah. well, did, did you speak to him for long? Yeah. I no, mean, about a millisecond. Yeah. He just moved up the line. Um, no, incredible. Thank you, thank you so much. My mate. pleasure, mate.
0: So I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, incredible man, Graham is very gentle. You know, for someone whose job it was to. Um, to butt heads literally with the opposition he played prop played played in the front row Um, It's such a gentle lovely man and such a nice conversation Um, so thank you Graham really really enjoyed that and hopefully there was something in there for you maybe something about leadership maybe something about how you create teams maybe something what I liked about that conversation well there was loads of stuff that I liked about that conversation but I liked where it started actually I liked where Graham started talking about oh my chickens are really noisy wanting to, um, wanting to introduce surprise into his team meetings and into the feedback that he gave them and wanting it to be non-formulaic and um, I think that kind of diversity of thinking or, or, or variation of thinking matters in so many of the businesses and of the things that we do um, so yeah, amazing and if you want to speak, I mean Graham spoke at an event, we spoke at one jointly and he was just really really accomplished with a really lovely message so if you need anyone Um, have an amazing day Um, thank you for listening and um, um, ears peeled as they say for the next one thank you